Hello, everybody. What's going on, Joe? Did you miss that voice, guys? Hello. Uh, running a little late for dinner, but let's get an intro going, you know? Yeah. We just had a man who was on the Joe Rogan experience a number of eight times. <laughs> a guy who had the number one rated philosophy podcast on iTunes. The man who debuted and was ranked one of the top podcasts in 2015, Mr. Daniele Bolelli of the Drunken Taoist and of History of Fire. And the guy is one of the nicest people ever. Yeah, he's such a nice guy. At the end, he's just like... He's an oh, open book, too, I felt like, yeah. to a certain point. Yeah, he said and talked a lot. He yeah. opened up a little he's bit. He's a good guy. I mean, he's a great guy. He came on the weekly sit-down. This guy's been on everything and anything. Yeah. But it was cool. We got into the topic of fear for a good amount, and then we just got into his life, how he moved to the United States and all that good stuff. It's a good listen to, though. Check it out. Follow him. You can probably look him up, Daniele Bolelli. You'll find him everywhere on social media. And then we missed the part, but we're back, guys. We're back. The website has got to come soon, and we will get it up. But follow us across the board on social media at Weekly Sit Down and enjoy the episode. Love you. Bye. Day and night. I toss and turn, I keep stressing my mind, mind. I look for peace, but see, I don't attain. What I need for keeps this silly game we play, play. Now look at this. Madness the magnet keeps attracting me. I try to run. Hold up. Hold up. Oh, God. I don't even remember where we were. (laughs) Yeah. All right, ready? Yeah, you good to go? Yeah. This is crazy. There he is. How's it uh, back on? <laughs> We're back, yeah. Yeah. Ran out of disk space, you know. <laughs> Weird on the hard drive. It happens. Yeah. All right, so we'll just get back into it right away. All right, so the last thing we were talking about was the fear, how it motivates you and how it holds you back. Mm-hmm. And we left off. You were saying how those are the exact things that hold people back is the fear of. Um, so the problem is usually fear means you don't like facing something. It's not gonna feel to face something. Right. So the natural reaction is to run in the opposite direction. It's not dealing with it. It's pretend that it's not there, so that I don't have to feel that way. And of course, in doing that, yes, you're not facing the thing that scares you, but you are, you're letting it win before you even try to fight it. You know, you're letting it stop you from doing things that may pay off well for you without even bothering to face it, deal with it, and trade blows with it. And that's the problem of fear. But most people don't face them, which means that they are held back without, sometimes even without knowing. Right. What was some of the fears that you worked with that pushed you to like a new level? That you had to get over. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, a million, really. 
But uh, when it comes to the martial art aspect, I think what happens is I tend to, you know, some people when it comes to fighting, the people who actually fight tend to be less afraid of fighting than I am. <laughs> uh, the people who are as afraid as I am don't fight. Right. So I'm kind of in a weird space where I don't fit with either one. You just um, fight just in case you'd have to defend yourself, I guess? No, not even. I think it's more because it's, uh, you know, I enjoy martial arts. I like training. But then the fact that I am so freaked out by something that it's also enjoyable to me, martial art become a testing ground. It becomes something where, you know, I can pretend that I'm above certain fears. But every time you step on the mat, you find out real quick. And not so much in training, but, you know, in competition, you find out real quick how scared or not you are. Then you find out a lot about yourself based on your ability to step up, even when you're terrified. You know, the ability to do that then means that you are less likely to be freaked out when uh, the time comes to face other fears in your life. You have done it already. You have done it in a situation where you would have done anything in the world to escape, to run away. So that's, to me, the more you face your fears, the stronger you get to a large degree. Yeah, they say um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yep. And yep. then yep. Uh, that's, that goes hand in hand with fear, being uncomfortable. Absolutely. For sure. So what did you, what, what led you on this path that you're on right now? What, like when you were a child or how you grew up and stuff? I think is um, I grew up as more of a, like my personality, the way I grew up, I'm a bit nerdier. I like reading a lot. I'm in my head a lot. Mm-hmm. I have more of a sensitive uh, personality. So it was important for me to develop something else, to have to develop an edge, to develop a certain degree of toughness, uh, a certain degree of assertiveness, because otherwise you know the problem sometimes when you don't deal with the other you know most qualities we possess are usually double-edged swords there's something good about them something bad about them you know being sensitive there's a lot of good that comes out of it there's also a lot of bad in terms of uh, you know sensitive means you're probably more in touch with emotions you can under you can have a higher degree of empathy but by the same Insensitive means you can get freaked out by things that are maybe not such a big deal. You can get emotionally worked up over little things. So with most things, it's good to learn how we can keep the best from our gifts and how we can limit the negative side of them. And this would be one of the things. You know, This would be um, the ability to Yes, it's okay to be sensitive, but at the same time to add to that personality a little bit of an edge, a little bit of you know resilience, right. toughness, assertiveness. Those are things that are, in my mind, absolutely essential if you have a sensitive kind of personality. If you are already tough by nature, maybe what you need is the opposite. Right. You yeah. need to read more books and uh, uh, get more in touch with your emotions, you know, because that's what you're missing. Would you say it's like balancing, like masculine and feminine energy? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is your, you adding the edge, was that getting into martial arts? Yeah, I think it was uh, one of the things that for me 
was uh, a very healthy way to start adding elements to my personality. Mm. And you grew up in Italy, did yeah. you say? What part? Yeah, I grew, I grew up in northern Italy, Milan. Mm. And I lived there until I was 18 years old. And then uh, I moved to the United States when I was 18. What made you move to the United States in the first place? The dream? <laughs> I think Italy is cool, but it's also... It's hard to get stuff done. Um, people tend to be somewhat more hostile to innovation. Okay. There's a tendency to say no to things as the default answer. Uh, in US, that tendency is not quite as developed. There's more of a willingness to try things out, to experiment. Right. So I was intrigued with the with the idea of at a, at a cultural level. You know, I was in US. I really had no idea how my life would pan out. In Italy, I could pretty much see how my life would pan out. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Did you have any plans coming here? Or was this like part of the fear right there, just moving from Italy to the U.S., start a whole new life? Did you yeah, have? Yeah, a... it was very much. Uh, let's go see. It. Let's go find out how. Let's go find out what happens. Man, just just see what happens. Yeah. Seems like it worked out. Yeah, I know. It's fun. I know <laughs> what you mean when you say. Um, you feel like it they're more stuck in their ways over there i have um family in naples and we went out there a few years ago for two weeks and it was like a hundred degrees and they just wouldn't put the air conditioning on right it, they were just like no it's this is how it is it's not hot and then, but they have an air conditioner but they just don't put it on and that's funny that's most the, people yeah. don't have air conditioner in italy but yeah if you have it that's kind of weird yeah, all my family's in Naples, and I've met like 20 people that I didn't even know that were related to me. <laughs> right, that's funny. Yeah, it's great. So you moved out here when you were 18. What did you do from there? I um, I went to school, and uh, I, I mean, school, I wasn't all that crazy about it. I didn't really care a whole lot, but it was a way to meet people. It was a way to for one to have a visa to be able to be legal in the United States. Yes. Um, so it was cool. You know, it was. Uh, I was never really interested in um, in school. Like I always felt that I could get a lot if I, it was about learning. I could learn a lot more outside of school than right. being in school. But is the way I saw it, college was great for social life, meeting people, exchanging ideas, chatting. You know, what was happening in the classroom was kind of the least important aspect. <laughs> It was everything around it that was uh, helpful in terms of growth. Yeah, the social skills you right. you acquire when you go to college are, you know, priceless, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the social skills and the experiences you get out of being in that environment. Yeah, you learn how to live with someone. How'd you learn English? What was the... Uh, a lot of it. I mean, my English sucked really <laughs> bad when I first arrived. And um, it still sucks in terms of the accent, but at least my vocabulary now is pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, so, I can understand you perfectly. So, yeah, so I think what happened was uh, really just being here, you know, talking to people, watching TV, going to school, being immersed in English 24-7, then uh, wasn't, you know, didn't take that long to start picking up on it. Yeah, television's big too. Yeah. Reading yeah. books, I guess. Right. All right, so so you came here 18, went to school. What was your major in school? 
I started out with anthropology, which sounded a lot more fun before I actually met anthropologists. <laughs> then I sort of started changing my mind. So, I mean, I did that. That was uh, what I majored in, but I wasn't all that intrigued. <laughs> what didn't you like about anthropologists? <laughs> there was a ton of theory. There was a lot of... Uh, um, a lot of mental masturbation about how we do anthropology as opposed to actually getting it done. Um, so I was not, I don't know, the promise of anthropology, the way I read it was that there was a sense of that you could apply certain insights to actually make a difference in the world. And mm -hmm. instead I saw a lot of uh, sitting around, uh, staring at once on navel and meditating on how these fits with some arcane academic theory. So I was not all that intrigued. <laughs> yeah, so, you, so you left that and what did you do instead? Um, again, I didn't really care to be in school anymore, but I mm -hmm. had to for visa reasons. And so then I did a master in American Indian Studies just because I knew a lot already. I mean, I look at the master and I pretty much knew what they were talking about already anyway. So I did it as a good way to stay in the country. And then when I started, eventually I kind of realized, hey, I sort of like teaching and... Uh, this is fun. I realized, yeah, but I have a master in American Indian studies. That's like the worst idea ever in terms of how many subjects, you know, what I'm allowed to teach. So I went back and then got another one in history, which expanded a little bit the range of stuff that I could teach. Has history always been a passion for you or was it just something? Yeah, I always enjoyed it. I mean, I grew up like some of the very first books I read, they were kind of those uh, children adaptation about ancient civilizations, about Egypt and Rome and Greece and whatever so it was, it was kind of like for me it was part of play you know it was like I would imagine my games as a little kid I would imagine those scenarios and so it was uh, I always enjoyed history it was fun nice okay all right so then you got into that so you went when you got your master's in history you went straight to teaching history in college or did you start somewhere yeah. else yeah, always, uh, always college. I started out uh, the main places I taught at Santa Monica College, I taught at UCLA, at Long Beach. And it was kind of fun because in a bunch of places I ended up teaching stuff that a very varied, you know, a lot of different topics. I taught in American Indian Studies, I taught in History, I taught in Social Science, I taught in... Uh, Asian-American studies, which is funny because I'm not Asian-American and I don't really have never taken a course in Asian-American studies. Yeah, it's how funny. did they make you a professor for that? Well, I went to talk with one of their bosses at UCLA and the thing was, hey, I could do these courses about history and philosophy of martial arts, which of course has a very Asian-heavy component. Right. If you are interested, it is what I would teach. And if you are not, it's not exactly that you can grab somebody else to teach it, because there are really not that many people who would be able to do it. So it's either me or nobody. And uh, he liked the idea, and he thought that they would attract students. So, you know, they're like, okay, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Works out for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big uh, hiss. So I've, you probably know a good amount of history then. How do you feel about what's going on currently in uh, the United States with the whole presidency and everything. I mean, it's kind of a 
if you look at so much of world history, the same story that repeats itself right. over and over again. It's uh, Game of Thrones minus the dragons. You know, it's uh, it's corruption, it's power, it's that kind of a game that's always been around and will always be around. Right? It's just if you look at uh, sort of the fall of the Roman Republic, you see the same dynamics at play. Right. So you know, the actors change, the details change, the basic story really doesn't. So we're we gonna fall. Trump is Caesar. <laughs> Beautiful. I don't know, man. It's uh, as far as fall depends on what fall means, too, because um, I mean, obviously, within the United—it's not just the United States. You know, most other places in the world have something similar, maybe not to the same degree of extreme, but the the fact that the political game is almost inevitably monstrously corrupted right. is a fact. It's more so in the United States because there are very few limits on how man, the influence of private money in politics. But, you know, that's kind of the nature of the game is wherever there's power, there's going to be money, there's going to be corruption. That's right. And it's, on, it's only getting more and more dangerous with the advance of technology, the advance of, of nuclear weapons. Yeah, of course, because suddenly the consequences are everything is magnified. And then you bring in fear right there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe in like uh, the Illuminati? Maybe not called the Illuminati, but just a, no- a higher class uh, of people. Or I mean, the way I power? see it is, of course, you're gonna have people who have money and power and want to make sure they keep having money and power and they want to keep attracting more. That's a fact. But from there to start assuming that there's this uh, group of people who control the entire. You know, that's assuming a high degree of intelligence that I don't know that I always see in groups. Like, it requires a high degree of effectiveness. And I'm not... Sometimes I find that a lot of the more conspiratorial thinking assumes that the quote-unquote enemy is um, monstrously smart, is like this perfect James Bond villain who controls it all. Mm-hmm. And I think most human beings are a lot dumber than that. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's uh, it's almost scarier to think that really nobody's in control, that people are kind of, you know, trying their best to bring more more money and figure right. out ways in which they can scheme their neighbor and get more for themselves. And clearly when you have a lot of money and power, it's easier to do. But far from being this perfectly closed, tight system where they're able to control the masses, yeah. you know, I, I feel that's a little too much. Do you think we'll ever in our lifetime move away from just having a president run the United States? Like, do you think one we'll, person? Yeah. Do you think we'll ever move away? Direct from that? democracy. We should go to. Yeah, and even you know, most systems are tricky because what happens is you have, um, you know, that here is one of the problems with life in general that you can have many, many, many different structures that you know in ancient greece for example they were talking about you know the the good side of a kingship is that you have the wise enlightened king who take care of it but when things go wrong the king become a tyrant right. he's a dictator and it's nasty so we can have instead an aristocracy you know the few really smart people in a society who can rule but when suddenly they are not the few smart they are just few period then it's an oligarch you know the rule by a few people who are not qualitatively better. So then we go for a democracy. Oh, great, direct democracy. But then in the best scenario, you have 
educated people on a mass level who can freely make choices. And on the wrong one, you have just some ignorant mob rule based on very poor information where some random idiom down the street has the same voting power as somebody who's really studied their stuff well. Well, it's like that now anyway. Yeah, no, go- no system of government is uh, perfect. No system of government is immune from 10,000 different problems, you know? Right. So it's, uh, the way I see it is, um, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure because part of the problem with governments in general is that they are bound to fail to some degree. Right. It's, uh, mm, I cannot think of too many examples in history where I can say, oh, that worked out so well. What's your opinion mm-hmm. on, like, when they used to have philosopher kings or philosopher rulers? Well, again, it works great if uh, it, it all depends on the quality of those people, right? Right. Marcus Aurelius. Because, you know, if, uh, if I have, uh, if you can pick the nicest human being on the planet and they are the absolute king tomorrow, I have no problem with it. The problem is that the odds are high that the nicest human being on the planet is going to lose one his generation, mind. Two generations later. You have their grandkid who's just an asshole and has the same degree of power That's and does horrible things with it. Right. That is also true. They and I feel have... you give the nicest guy in the world all the power, it's eventually going to get to his head. And there's that other problem that, yes, there is the element that power has a tendency to corrupt a bit. Right. They should make scientists president. I think they just don't want that. Yeah, it's funny. Like a lot of people would probably be more qualified to play a leadership role, don't want it. And the ones who do want it are really not the people you want for the job. It's true. Yeah, like Trump. Rogan says that a lot. What? Yeah. About the people who should be in power don't want the power, but the people who shouldn't be in power are in power. (laughs) That's yeah, a fact. That's so that's true. Yeah. How did you, because I heard you the first time ever on the Joe Rogan experience. Uh-huh. How did you actually get in touch with Rogan? Like, how did that whole come about? It was weird, really. I don't, <laughs> still don't really know, because what happened was that <laughs> Matt Staggs, who now works for Rogan, at the time he didn't, but he was doing publicity for a publishing company that had published my book. Okay. And so he was regularly sending Rogan tweets and information and stuff, and, and Joe would ignore 99.9% of it. And then once in a rare while, he would respond or address what was going on. Well, for whatever reason, and I have no idea why, he decided when, when Matt pitched me to Joe, Joe was like, cool, let's do it. Let's wow. make it happen. Okay. Uh, come on such and such a day to the studio and let's roll with it. And so I guess then we hit it off. He worked well the first time, and so he called me back several times after that. And um, and it really changed a lot of things for me. It put me in touch with a different reality. I really did not appreciate the potentials of the podcasting world before that time. Right. So it really opened my eyes to, to a lot of great ideas. He got you into podcasting? Yeah, I barely knew what a podcast was before before going on Joe's podcast. Yeah, I had no idea what it was until I listened to Joe. So, yeah. wow, <laughs> he's like the grand, the godfather <laughs> of podcasts. Definitely, and I mean, he has had a huge impact on most people who have been on his podcast. Yeah, I can imagine. In many cases, they were people who did not have their own podcast before, 
but then after Joe kind of showed them the potentials of the medium, they got really intrigued with it. So is he who convinced you to start your own podcast? I mean, he never told me. It was more like what happened was uh, after Joe invited me on a few times, then I started getting invited on a lot of podcasts, and more and more people started saying, hey, why don't you do your own? And I was like, I really don't want to. I'm so, I have 10,000 things I'm doing already. I don't want to get into it. Right. And eventually my point was, okay, great. Somebody can hook me up with uh, everything where I don't need to worry about iTunes or the technical things. I just show up, speak in a microphone, and that's it. That's right. And I'm down. And then very quickly after that, Achievers, Evan Calver, a few people stepped up and basically said, sure, we'll help you out. And so I was like, oh, damn, my excuse is gone. I guess I have to do a podcast now. <laughs> it worked out for you. Do you do, mean, do you do by yourself? I haven't gotten to listen to yours. The Drunken Taoist, no. It's kind of an interview slash conversation type of podcast. It's more like a Rogan kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. History on Fire instead is a one-person show where it's just me um researching like crazy a particular historical topic telling it in the proper epic fashion and just you know basically doing storytelling of one particular episode in history right Mm. are you and dan carlin good friends because that's how i first got into historical podcasts i heard his um yeah it's so nice dan is like the nicest person he's such a cool human being he should be president (laughs) i agree (laughs) Always Dan Carlin for president. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a Taoist? Yeah, I mean, to me, the beauty of Taoism is that it's in some way beyond labels. So it's the label that allow you not to be labeled. So in that (laughs) sense, I don't really even care to define it. Like, am I a Taoist? Am I not? I I use a ton of Taoist ideas. That's what to me... To me, Taoism is not even just a particular philosophical belief. It's just a recognition of the way things are that just the universe is Taoist. You know what I mean? It's like it's if you look outside and you look at the way nature works, the way human beings work, Taoist principles principles perfectly capture all of that stuff. So yeah, real so, quick, Taoism is just the, like the yin and yang, right? That's Yeah, I mean, there's many aspects to it, but it's basically, yeah, there are several different... It's funny because the very first line of the Tao Te Ching say the Tao that can be explained is not the real deal. So in some way, you're like, okay, then we're done. If we can talk about it, then what are we even... But that's just the warning label, kind of at the beginning. Like, you know, things are really... Taoism is something. It's not something that you can put in stone. It's not something that... So it does require a little bit of dancing around to fully appreciate Taoism in all of its nuance. But yes, there are many, many different aspects. The whole symbology of the yin-yang thing is clearly important. Mm -hmm. There's... um, At one point, I sort of got... People were asking me a lot because my podcast is called The Drunken Taoist. They would ask me a lot about, you know, what should I read about Taoism? And and there are some really good books, but none of them were fully captured the way I approach it. Okay. So eventually, at one point, I kind of got tired of it and I said, okay, screw it. I'll do, I, I did a lecture series on Taoism mm-hmm. about, you know, 16 different topics about Taoism, seven hours worth of it, and then I released that one. I was like, okay, nice. that's my approach to Taoism. That that captures. Did you ever think about writing a book or? Yes, but no time because between other books I was writing and ten thousand other things, and so I figured that doing the um, 
the lecture series was a lot more efficient because I could convey the same ideas in a lot less time. So I I, I decided I was I was thinking about it. Oh, should I do it as a book? And then I said, no, it's done. You know, it's perfect as a lecture series. It works well as is. And yeah. I really need to put it down. Are you a fan of Alan Watts? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that was one of the issues that I would always recommend Alan Watts. But then some people didn't dig it, partially because when you read it, Watts uses a very philosophically heavy language. Um, mm-hmm. It's a bit dated, some of the material. So some people that I would recommend it to weren't quite getting it. Interesting. So I was yeah. like, okay, maybe... And they would get it when I explain it to them. So I think it was just a matter of vocabulary, you know? Right. I, I'm a huge yeah. fan of Alan Watts. I've become a fan like over the past year. Oh yeah, I love it. I mean, he's awesome. I read his book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. Yep. And it awesome. uh it kind of changed my life. I love it's so I I just have a hard time separating the difference between like Buddhism and Taoism. Aren't they really similar? Well, he particularly he talks about a lot of Zen Buddhism. Yeah, and Zen. Zen- is really just Taoism with Buddhist clothing, really. It's uh, Zen is a mix of Buddhism and Taoism. So, of course, there are tremendous similarities between the two because they are really not that different in principle, in ideas. I don't really treat them as differences. I see them more as uh, slightly, you know, there are minor differences here and there, but not at all. Okay. The way he puts everything is just so eloquent. I just love how he words. He yep. makes every problem isn't a problem. <laughs> Nothing is a big deal. Everything's no, genius. I love reading him. You know, had a huge influence on my thinking, on my life, on everything. So yeah, I really, really like Alan Watts. Did you ever get into Stoicism? Uh, Stoicism is cool. I dig it. You know, I. Um, of course, from Seneca to Marcus Aurelius to some of those guys. I tend to find Stoicism even in places that are not traditionally Stoic. You know, if you look at a lot of um, writings by the samurai, they are Stoicism. If you look at, uh, hell, even if you look at uh, Conan the Barbarian short stories that Robert E. Howard used to write, they are a perfect example of Stoicism. Right. So... I dig it because I find it, you don't have to be a stoic to be a stoic kind of thing. I get it. Yeah, it's just, it's really similar where it's just, if it doesn't affect you, you know, don't think about it. Right. It's simple. (laughs) Yeah, the only reason I cut to that is because, like you said, Seneca, Mm -hmm. I think he had a whole exercise about the... um, Hold on, what was it called? The fear setting exercise? Mm-hmm. Where you would yeah. picture what's the worst that could happen yeah. if you do a certain thing and then you picture how you're going to fix if that happens, if you do this, what's going to happen right. afterwards and that whole thing. And that's just... So picture what's the worst thing that could happen in any situation right. and figure out how to fix that and then you won't be scared. Cause yeah, I mean, kind of like the negative visualization. Right, yes. Imagine the very things they are scared of, the worst possible case scenario, and become comfortable with it. Right. So that then anything else that happens is easier than whatever it is they have already trained to face. And I think it was also him who he would take a week out of a month, I want to say, and he would just not buy anything that was not necessary. So he would live bare minimum for a week. Right. 
and just put himself through that to see at the end of it, okay, I can live through that. There's nothing else to worry about after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in fact, I used uh, some stoic thinking in Not Afraid. I did mention Seneca. I did discuss a lot of stoic principles and ideas. Yeah. What else do you have in, do you have in the works? Do you, are you doing anything else new? Well, yes, I have... Um, one of the problems, too, is that History on Fire takes an insane amount of time. Right. Because the research involved for it is brutal. You know, you have to read uh, probably 10 books for each episode I release. So just reading them, taking notes, putting it together, it's kind of hard to find, um, to find you know, I have 10,000 ideas and the time to develop about one millionth of it. I just, <laughs> it's a little tricky the way it pans out because the ideas are there, the time to develop them is not. So... I'm already doing a ton because, you know, I teach six courses in college. I'm running two podcasts, one of which is super research heavy. Plus, you know, so there's uh, I have a lot of projects handy and it's always a game to try to figure out. I can find the time to get started on some of those. Yeah. What what are you saying? And you uh, and you have those kids, too, that, you know, you're trying to be a dad. Of course. <laughs> it's all important. Yep. All right, so yeah. I know you're a busy guy. You probably don't have too much time. No worries, all good. Okay. So getting back to fear. Mm-hmm. So how was it raising a girl by on your own as a single dad after everything that happened? Well, I think I was... Um... I mean, there was an element where I was exhilarated because I felt like, you know, if you haven't killed me yet, and by you I mean the universe, if the universe hasn't killed me yet, then uh, screw it. Mm, you know, I can do... I've already been sensitized to the fact that I don't control jack shit of what happens, that anything can happen any minute. So moment there where I felt a certain degree of freedom, where I'm like, you know, I can just... I don't have to live with fear. I can do anything I want because uh, I don't control the outcome anyway. I might as well enjoy it in the process. Right. And of course, that's easier said than done because I was under a monstrous amount of stress. And, you know, of course, it took a toll. And um, so it's been an interesting dance between, uh, on one hand, wanting to step up and make sure that I'm doing the best I possibly can for my daughter at the same time sometime I crash and you know the stress level it weighs me down and then I climb out again I mean it's been overall has been a good spiral like slowly 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 but every six months is better than six months before uh, it's just a dance because it's you know five step forward four backward uh, three forward three backward you know that kind of thing. yeah that's what Alan Watts says be a cloud yeah just go with it wherever you go. So would you say that, that, whole, that whole situation probably motivated you to push harder, I'm guessing? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> what? What are you trying to do? Nothing. I don't care. Right. <laughs> You're doing hand motions. <laughs> I don't understand. All right. So I guess we don't have too much more time with you. I have a quick question. Go for it. Sure. Um, I, you probably got into it with Joe Rogan, 
but I didn't hear it. Have you ever experimented with psychedelics at all? Sure. Yes. Like mushrooms? Yes. And have they influenced you? Have they? Did they ever like have a big impact on you? Would you say? Uh, no. No. But, uh, no. I I did the mushrooms three times. One was a lot of fun. He was, but honestly, it was just fun. It was more like yeah. being had drunk and laughing and having a good time. Not really some transformational thing. Another yeah. time, not much happened. I just felt like I gave myself a headache for six hours. <laughs> And the third time was just one of the most, I would consider it one of the most horrific experiences I've ever had, wow. where I was just trapped in this dimension and I was just not getting out, not being able to get through. Not So, you know, that really was not particularly fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the extent of my mushroom experiences. Uh, so you're not a proponent for using it as like medicine to help people with no I'm a proponent of whatever works you know yeah. you can try and if it works for you that's great yeah. um, it doesn't work for every. you know it's not the magic pill that you take and suddenly everything is gonna is gonna solve all your problems you know in some cases it helps a lot of people in some cases it can fuck you up even more than you were when you started <laughs> in some cases it has a negligible effect where it's just fun and games for a little bit but doesn't really alter anything on a deep level i think it depends on a lot of factors and so it's a tool it's an interesting tool for sure but that's kind of i think it comes down to your mind state going into it if you think it's going to be a certain way then it's going to be that certain way what's funny about it though is that in order for it to be pushed as this uh you know, it helps you get over this problem, that problem, that problem. Well, in some cases it does, in some cases it doesn't. You know, it's like you sort of always hear the archetypal perfect psychedelic stories of where you dive deep and you face your fears and you come from the other end, all happy and reborn and stuff. Yeah, that was really not my experience at all. <laughs> I hear that a lot with ayahuasca. In uh, the good experience or the terrifying the one? The mix of both, where it's just you just go deep, and then when you come out of it, you just appreciate everything about life that much more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, again, don't get me wrong, that does happen a lot. Right. A lot of people have that experience. Then there are also the plenty of people who don't. Of course. And, you know, where you do that, and it doesn't quite take you through this uh, awesome journey where you come out reborn. If anything, you just got kicked in the balls by Godzilla, and that's how you was up after <laughs> your death. So, you know, I'm all for, I think there's a lot of potential in psychedelics, but I do not think it's the magic cure that's going to solve things for everybody. Right. There probably there isn't going to be a magic one pill. Exactly. For... exactly. Because there isn't such thing. No, never. Yeah. I guess we could end there. All right. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. And well, man, if there's problem? if there's anything you want to promote, any message you have to say. It's all good. I mean, my if anybody's interested in my stuff, it's easy to find. Just Google my name and all the good stuff is going to pop out. Uh, podcast, books, everything else. So, you know, the joys of technology allow that <laughs> rather easy. That's right. Yeah, nowadays. All right, awesome. Thanks a lot again, Danielli. It's been a pleasure. And cool, I hope, guys. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Awesome, man. You guys have a great one. Well, you thank too. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Mr. Daniele Skype is crazy because like they'll be talking and there's a, there's a little delay and then you like say something and then it's just right. it gets weird yeah. for a second. Every it's time. weird because you're not face to face and you never know when they're done with their thoughts. Yeah, or when who's yeah. supposed to talk and then it gets quiet and then yeah. no one talks. And the then... quiet freaks me out immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. The quiet always freaks me out. That's what I'm terrified of at all times. <laughs> terrified? That's yeah, your fear? Dude, that is a huge fear. Just <laughs> quiet and a podcast. Well, it's not live. I know, but it freaks me out because I never know if he's done, if the person we have at the other end is done saying what they have to say. Yeah, once it's live, I guess it would be freaky. Yeah. Oh, it would be so fucking freaky live, dude. I'll lose my shit. <laughs> we need to get to that point eventually. But we got to get more comfortable, so fuck it. I mean, Skypes are annoying. Yeah. FaceTime's instant. Sky- right? Skype's pretty instant. Same shit. He would have just kept talking, but I don't know. Yeah, but he yeah, said he an didn't. hour. He felt like I felt like he was slowly like dying out towards the end it's been an hour yeah yet. exactly i didn't want to like if i want to get this guy back on ever it's gonna yeah. be a lot rougher if we're like yeah let's do an hour and then we go <laughs> hold him for like two hours and he doesn't seem like the type of person who's gonna be like guys no no yeah. no you know he's what I mean? so nice yeah, yeah. awesome hey guy, he's like yeah. all good he's taoist yeah. so he's all chill. He's always chilled i just know he's a busy guy too so yeah oh man it's all good dude yeah, yeah i love chill. the guy good guy yeah, I love that's it. cool. Sucks Learn. we lost the first twenty minutes. <laughs> it was like ten minutes, but we lost twenty what are minutes. Do? We basically recovered everything we we talked about then. Yeah, we squeezed it into forty. Yeah, what are you gonna do? It is what it is. We got a big one coming up Tuesday. That's right. We're hitting you with two X, two X Rogan guest. Yo, you know I googled who is the smartest person in the world. Yeah. Lawrence Krauss was number eight. Wow. Then I guess I better step my vocabulary up for a Tuesday. Ever, though. Like, <laughs> there was, like, Stephen Hawking on there, and then there Who was... Who was number like, one? Some name I never heard of. I where have, was... Uh, I have it right here. Where was... What's his name? Our boy. Who? Just now? Daniele? No, not Daniele. Daniele should boy. be on there. Our other boy. It's Jacob... Baronsky, okay. Bro, Bronowski, Richard Dawkins, Richard Feynman, Brian Green, Brain Green, Stephen Hawking, Lawrence Krauss, and names I don't know. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, that's the guy I'm talking about. Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan are on there. Carl Sagan. But yeah, that's crazy. We, how are we? I don't know. We gotta get. Prepared. We gotta prep yeah. even more. Even though the Daniele is like incredibly smart too. Yeah. So it was we prepped enough for Daniele yeah. to get us moving for that hour at least. Lawrence Krauss, we're gonna have to fucking prep. Yeah, and he's like a hard ass, like Yeah, dude. I'm gonna have in, to look up what he's been on working on and shit lately. In his emails, he's he's just straight to the point. Every, like I feel everything. like if we just <laughs> we have a single pause that lasts for a minute. Alright guys, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, alright guys. <laughs> fuck you guys, I'm out here. Yeah. Guys, I'm really busy. <laughs> So just have we need to get, just have a hundred things written down so like yeah. we won't even get to the end of it. Yeah, I'll do that. And it's gonna be an hour, seven to eight. So okay, cool. All right, guys, you just had Daniele Bellelli. 
Um, check them out. Drunken Taoist and then History on Fire. We have to do an intro. That's right. So just say that again. We'll, and- we'll say it again and then check us out. <laughs> Peace out. Later.